Welcome, welcome, everybody. It is the Tuesday edition of Talkback, brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial, where they offer residential and commercial cleaning with their powerful steam extraction method. They bring those tired and dirty carpets right back to life. Now, no job is too big or too small. So if, if, if this weather's got you down, you want a clean house or business, Call them for a free estimate at 260-6617. Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy can be found in Missoula at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery located out on North Reserve. Okay, here we are. Glad to have you along this morning on this, if you will, a political day on Talkback. We are thrilled to have with us three three great guests. Robin Driscoll, of course, chair of the Montana Democratic Party, is joining us right now. And then we'll have Matt Regier, who is the Speaker of the House and the Chief Legal Counsel for the Montana State Auditor, uh, Troy. Uh, of course, that will be Oli Olson will be joining us as well. So let's get right to it and uh, talk with our friend Robin Driscoll. Robin, welcome. How are you? Hey, thank you. Happy New Year. Um, I am doing great. I what? don't. We don't have snow here, so um, I just heard you guys saying that you're getting some snow, but we do have the fog. So. Okay, well, there you go. All right. So now yeah. I, I, I asked you a question before we went on. It was kind of humorous. I, I was asking if you if you are sitting by politely while uh, the Republican supermajority is running rushed over over the the Democrats in the state legislature uh, with your hands folded and saying, thank you very much. May I have another? Uh, <laughs> so so tell me tell me what's been going on with the Democratic Party the first uh, three weeks of the session. And what's what's been happening with you? Sure. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a good question that you asked me before we came on. And, and my answer was <laughs> um, politely or demurely probably doesn't um, quite describe how I've been sitting by and watching, but I have been sitting by and watching. Um, but like I said, we have scored you know, at least a couple good wins. I'm just going to call them wins for lack of a better term. Um, You know, in the rules fight, basically it was a fight on the floor of the House. Uh, Republicans joined Democrats in making sure that, um, you know, in in one way, Democrats aren't bullied um, from the party of bullying. But they joined us in voting to decrease the threshold in which a bill can be pushed out of committee. So um, to blast a bill out of committee, it will take, um, I think it's either 55 or 60 votes rather than the 65 or 60 votes that it typically takes, you know, because like they said, you know, just to be even a little bit fair to Democrats, that still is a threshold that is pretty tough to meet when you're in a super minority. You would have to get a, a lot of Republicans to vote along with you to get that bill out of committee. But it, it does make for better policy, you know, so that they can't just kill every Democratic bill in committee and then not get it out onto the floor for debate, you know, for the entire um, body to hear the pros and cons of that bill. So, and then we also have some really good pieces of legislation, bipartisan pieces of legislation. And um, I, I'm, you know, I'm really hopeful about them. I think that Dems, again, I've, I've stated this on the show before, are just kind of keeping their heads down and um, bringing forth legislation that they feel would benefit Montanans as a whole and, um, you know, just kind of trying to stay out of uh, the other fights. Sure, sure. Well, we already have a caller that wants to visit with you, so let's jump right in here. Joe, good morning. You're on with Robin Driscoll. What's your question, sir? Good morning. I'm sure you're all familiar with the uh, UPenn situation with the Biden Institute, where uh, Joe Biden received a million dollars for teaching or for being a professor, but he never taught. Some people are alleging that that is a money laundering scheme because UPenn got hey, uh, sixty hey, million hey, some hey, dollars. Hey, Joe. Here's my question. Joe, uh, here's my question. Okay, what's your question? My question is: Do you think the Max Bachus Institute? I don't know about this, though. <laughs> okay, I'm. I feel that the Max Bachus Institute at the University of Montana should be investigated to see if there's any 
similar type situations going on there. What do you think about that? All right, Joe, thanks for the call. Uh, any any comment on that, Robin? Um, well, the Max Bacchus Institute, as far as I know, um, doesn't take public. I, I don't, I guess I can't answer that because I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about Joe Biden taking money for not teaching. I've not heard that. And I don't know about the Max Bacchus, unless you're talking about the um, Jeanette Rankin. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I'm sure, sorry. Sure. Yeah. But, but what a question I had for you is the governor has been has had several press conferences over the last several mo- uh, weeks, even before the legislature started, about his plans, his proposed budget, uh, you know, to, to, to send a, a, a billion dollars in tax relief and that sort of thing. So when, when you hear that, uh, that, that kind of speech uh, uh, from, from because he, he wants to give all that money back to the citizens of Montana, what is your thought? Sure, and thanks for that question. My thought is that um, definitely some of that should go back to the people in the state of Montana. But there are so many needs out there um, with our nursing homes across the state closing, 11 at least, um, just in the last few months. And then with um, the state prison and the state hospital in the shape that they're in, not being able to find staff, um, you know, losing Medicaid funding, that there are a lot of needs that, and child care and housing that that he should be focusing on as well as returning some of that money to the taxpayer. But Democrats in Montana are pushing forth bills that address child care and, um, you know, closure of, of nursing homes um, and assisted living facilities. And so... Um, we just, I don't know. I, I don't think that the, all that money should be returned when we have so many dire needs throughout the state. Child care. Um, Democrats are pushing forward bills with that. So. All right. Well, we're up. We're up against our first break. We have several lines open. If you have a question for Robin Driscoll, she is the chair of the Montana Democratic Party here to talk about what's going on at the legislature. So if you have a question or a comment, we would love to hear from you. And that number is 406-721-1290. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. We are back on Talkback. Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls. Been a busy guy so far this morning. Robin Driscoll, chair of the Montana Democratic Party, is with us on the phone. And Skip has been waiting the longest. Skip, good morning. You're on. Thank you, Peter. Uh, And, Ms. Driscoll, uh, I'll I'll make this very specific. This afternoon, I think, at the... uh, in Helena, there there is a, a meeting having to do with redistricting. And... Uh, I was wondering if you had any specific ideas of how that whole subject is going, either right or left, in the redistricting plans that are out there. And I think today is is the last time that, if I'm if I'm, my information is right, or close to the last time that public can make comment in that public meeting, and um, and. And can you give us any feedback about how that uh, is lying right now? And and uh, people and please make people realize how long that final decision will last for. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for the call. Okay, Robert, it's all yours. Yeah, thanks, Skip. My husband's name is Skip too. So, <laughs> um, but so the committee will hear from the public. Um, they have received the maps. The legislature has received the maps. And so they will look over them. And like you said, a committee has been appointed by the Republican leadership. They can make comments on these maps. And so they can take the public comment and pass those comments or any comments that they themselves want to make on to the rest of the legislature. The rest of the legislature can listen. Um, and but the, they have no ability to change the maps. So they can go back to the commission and make their recommendations. Um, you know, if, if they feel lines should be drawn differently and the commission and the chair can take those comments into account, um, but they do not have to change the boundaries or change the maps at all if they don't want. The chair has made it perfectly clear that 
she is more than happy and willing to listen to these comments, and she has been transparent and open about that through this entire process. But that if they are strictly political, Democrat or Republican, that she will not give them much credence. Um, So, again, the the legislature cannot change the maps. All right. Good to know. Let's get Dave on the line. Dave with Robin Driscoll. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning. I've read, I'm not sure it's true, that Montana receives more money from the federal government than they send into the federal government. But as far as the surplus goes, uh, is this all state-collected tax money, or is this partially federal special money that came into the state? Good question. Thanks. Yeah, and and you are correct. We do take in more money than um, what we pay into the federal government, um, just because, just by you know, our population in our state is is um, so small comparatively to other large states. But um, a lot of the money that is in this budget surplus is ARPA money. And so that's, that's what kind of worries me about a lot of these um, permanent type tax cuts that the governor is, is pressing because it's not sustainable. Once that ARPA money has gone, it's gone. So, um, yeah, that was a good question. All right. So now, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I had a chance to visit uh, with um, with with Marcia uh, about the about the Montana Freedom Caucus. So I wanted to get your your thought on uh, the Montana Freedom Caucus because uh, it, it, when, when the you know when they were trying to fill the chair uh, at, at at the at the U.S. Congress, it was quite a fight, and we got to know the Freedom Caucus <laughs> fairly well. So, but I understand that there, there's also a Freedom Caucus here in Montana. Yes, fourteen Republican legislators announced the formation of the Freedom Caucus, um, and and really they're the farthest right ideologues of the Republican Party, um, just like they are in Congress, um, and so. The chair is uh, Teresa Manzella. Yeah, Teresa. uh, Yeah, Teresa Manzella. My apologies. Yeah. Yep, that's okay. Um, And, you know, everybody knows, like, some of the stuff that she has pushed for. But, you know, what's really interesting to me is that they hold themselves out as these, um, you know, fighting for individual freedom and limited government and, and in fact, Teresa Manzella just refused to vote for a bill yesterday, I believe it was, on the floor of the Senate to allow, you know, just about $4,500, a little bit less, um, to create, to make signs for a piece of roadway to honor a tribal member, um, Earl Old Crane, who passed away within the last year. Um, and she said she just could not see herself spending dollars on, on you know, $4,500 to make signs for a highway. Um, but so many of their members, you know, and this is, this is not from me. This is from a press release by Tom Ludy, who actually researched this. But a lot of these members have been the beneficiaries of USDA farm subsidies, um, some of them took money in the paycheck, pay, paycheck protection program loans. Um, public records show that many of these Freedom Caucus members have have taken money. In fact, one of them, the vice chair in egg subsidies, has taken um, about one and a half million dollars in um, egg subsidies over the last few, you know whatever, 20 years or whatever, but very interesting. Um, most of them on there, almost all of them has, have taken PPP loans or egg subsidies at one point. So um, I, I don't know how, how much they're opposed to government spending, unless it lines their pockets, I guess. All right. Well, we're, we're going to take a break right right now. 721-1290 is our number. We have all of our lines open, aside from the one that Robin is on. So if you have a question or a comment for Robin Driscoll, she's the chair of the Montana Democratic Party. This is your opportunity. She's here to answer your calls and not necessarily talk with Nick and me. So uh, we'll be right back with more of Talk Back right after this.
Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. We have all of our lines open and only a few precious minutes left with uh, Robin Driscoll. She's the chair of the Montana Democratic Party. Uh, so, uh, so Robin, in, in, lieu, in lieu of calls from our wonderful listeners, uh, what, what other kind of things are you working on uh, in the Democratic leadership to try to uh, convince uh, some of the Republican majorities to take a glance at uh, the things that you're proposing? Sure. So um, one of the things, as you know, housing, we have a housing crisis in the state of Montana. Um, Every Montana needs a place to live. And so we have um, some bills that are working towards that goal. Today, well, I can't remember if it's today, but Representative Cordham out of Gallup County has a bill that would refund application fees that people have to pay landlords. And so in, you know, an already extremely expensive and competitive rental market, renters can be on the hook for hundreds of dollars just to apply for an apartment that they may not even be able to get. And so one of the arguments against it is, well, the landlords have to spend money to do background checks and so forth. And so, um, this bill, his bill would allow covering the cost for those background checks, but they it would not allow them to keep the whole fee. And so, you know, because if, if somebody opens a place for rent, they probably have 20 applicants within the first couple hours. Um, and e- if each one has to pay a fee, they don't have to background check everybody because they would get through probably only part of the list. So... I think that's a real bipartisan um, bill. And I mean, in fact, one of the Republicans said, you know, this is the best bill of the entire session. It's very common sense. Um, and well, then I, I, Representative I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, uh, we're running short of time, but we do. Andy just called, so he wants to visit with you. Andy, good morning. You're on with Robin Driscoll. Please go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. And Robin, thank you for being there, taking the hard questions. Uh, I'm calling regarding uh, Teresa Manzella's group. Um, I know somebody in their group had called the Montana Constitution a liberal rag, and they're uh, going forward with the idea of uh, making some drastic changes. Uh, some of the changes that might occur that, that uh, are upsetting to me are, is, uh, one, our streamside access law, which is protected in state of Montana, lets us all fish up and down our rivers and such. Um, I yeah. know there's a lot of money moving moving in to uh, privatize our rivers, etc. Another thing that's really uh, concerning me is the uh, right to have a clean and healthful environment. Um, that Constitution uh, uh, clause in the Constitution uh, helped us keep a motorcycle racetrack from being right in, in our neighborhood. Without that uh, it would be we'd have a lot of noise here, and uh, it's really bad. So, because if if you could talk about what they want to do to the constitution, as far as what you know, I would appreciate it. Thank okay. you very much. And I'm good. We have exactly two and a half minutes, so it's all yours, Robin. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I'll start. I'll start talk really fast. So, as of right now, the last I heard, there are 47 different amendments to the constitution. Um, the one good thing about that is that um, even if the legislature passes that with the super minority or majority that they have, they have, all of those amendments have to go on the ballot for statewide support, that voters statewide would be able to vote on each of those. Um, I am hopeful that some of our um, friends on the other side of the aisle won't vote to support to even get these on the ballot, but once they are on the ballot, my guess is that Montanans are very are reasonable and moderate and want and love our constitution. Um, it's one of the most progressive constitutions in the nation, and other states have have um, tried to adopt constitu- a constitution like our own. And so um, the stream access is very popular. I can't imagine that would ever go away um, because voters would not allow it to go away. Um, the right to a clean and healthful environment. Um, and I, I agree with you, super important. And I can't imagine that that would go away 
um, either. I, I'm very hopeful that we have some Republicans with some common sense that will vote against a lot of these measures. Well, uh, let's, let's put it this way. It, it's hard for me to, to think that anybody would vote against having a clean and healthful environment. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So so what are you doing here in Montana, be buddy? Vote to take, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, um, because well, obviously it hasn't stopped uh, uh, manufacturing and progress in Montana. Yeah. So. We have exactly one minute left. Your final thoughts. Um, I am watching the legislature closely, as are you all, and I look forward to next month. Um, I'm sure that there will be plenty more bills to talk about at that point um, and discuss, and, and hopefully, you know, We'll come up with all the solutions that are necessary. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and, and here's hoping that uh, everybody can work together and be nice and hold hands and take turns and all the stuff you learned in Kumbaya. kindergarten. In, 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 yes. in kindergarten, Absolutely. right? So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Hey, we're out of time, Robin. Thank you so much. Okay, thank right. you. Yep, yep, see you next month. Uh, you Bye. bet, man. We're going to come right back. Stay with us. Uh, Matt Regeer, Speaker of the House, going to join us from 9 to 9.30. And then Oli Olson from the State Auditor's Office from 9.30 until 10. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is our number two of the Tuesday edition of Talk Back, brought to you this morning by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Come on by for all of your New York favorites. They have locks. They have New York cheesecake. They've got cannolis. Delicious bagel sandwiches uh, brooklyn bagel and bakery located out on north reserve okay for the very first time uh, first of all nick christensen over there taking your phone calls good morning nick good morning right. <laughs> joining us on the phone for the very first time on talk back this morning we're privileged to have uh, matt regeer he's the uh, speaker of the house of representatives for the state of montana and the legislature and uh, matt first of all thank you for taking the time out of i know what i know is a crazy busy schedule to spend a half an hour with us and our listeners we appreciate it hey thanks for having me good morning missoula you bet all right so so before we get to our calls uh what are the things that that are on your mind as speaker of the house obviously you get to see all the bills that that come through what, what are the ones that are the most impactful that you are uh, supportive uh, supporting or perhaps opposed to Sure. As, as you said, it is uh, fast-paced here. We only have 90 days uh, every two years, so it is uh, we cram a lot into 90 days. So when you say, what are the overall things, it's just which week are you talking? And this week, uh, we're talking tax relief. We've uh, uh, That's first up on the agenda here for the House. We've got uh, a debt-free bill. We're looking to drop the income tax rates. We're looking to exempt small businesses from the business equipment tax. We've got property tax refunds. We've got income tax refunds. Uh, so it's kind of a tax relief week or weeks here, a couple weeks uh, in the Montana House. Now, I do know that, that uh, many of that, many of the things you're, you're suggesting or proposing the, the bills are, are one-time-only deals, like with, with the property tax, I know that's, that's one, and with the income tax refunds, uh, or, or, or is that going to be permanent? No, that is, yeah, there's a few of those. The property tax refund would be a $500 check to just Montana residents uh, for the next two years. The income tax refund is a one-time-only uh, income tax uh, uh, refund, really. I mean, we, the Montana uh, income taxpayers really overpaid to operate state government the last couple of years, and so we're going to give some of that back. We'd like to give some of that back. So those are the one-time only ones, but then like the business equipment tax, exempting small businesses from that business equipment tax, not uh, taxing the producers there. Um, that's an ongoing thing as well as lowering the income tax. That's an ongoing thing that we need to make sure fits into our structural balance here in the state budget. Okay, let's. Uh, anything else before we get to our callers who really want to talk with you? Oh, there's. I mean, as we see, a thousand different issues here. That's the fun <laughs> part of being in the. Uh, I affectionately call it here the fishbowl. We've we've uh, kind of captive, and we just got all sorts of issues. So, I mean, I'm willing to talk about anything. But like I said, this week it's kind of those are the big bills that are on the agenda for the Montana House of Representatives. You got it. Let's get Skip on the line. Skip, you're on with Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House. Go ahead, sir. What's on your mind? Hello, Matt, and congratulations for being elected speaker. Uh, I know that 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 was an interesting vote right up till the end. Uh, my my uh, representative is David Beatty, and uh, my uh, my senator is uh, is uh, President of the Senate, Jason Ellsworth. And so, uh, what I'd like to know is, right at the beginning of your session, there seemed to be some 
uh, an interesting problem going on with the rules. Would you please just tell us what that heavy item was that had to be resolved? And then would you please tell us where you stood on it, sir? That was my question. Thank okay. you. Thanks for the call. Go ahead. Sure. So you're down there in the Bitterroot. That's a that's a great area of Montana. Uh, yeah, so we started off with rules, and we said uh, every session the legislature has to set its own rules for operation. Um, and, and my take is uh, we work hard as a Republican Party. I mean, the Democrat Party works hard, too, to try and get as many Democrats elected. Republicans try and get many as many Republicans elected as possible. And uh, with that, we've got a supermajority. The voters sent in a supermajority into the Montana House this time. We've got 68 out of 100 are Republicans. And I believe the voters of Montana want us to act like the supermajority. And the rules that were proposed, uh, there was some Republicans that uh, went along with 100% of the Democrats uh, to weaken, uh, weaken the process, really, uh, for the supermajority. So I was frustrated with that. Um, but uh, I think we... Um, allow, me to, we allow me to ask you a question. For, for those of us who are neophytes and don't spend a lot of time looking at the legislature, we hear the, hear the word supermajority and how rare it is to happen. Why is that, in your view, as Speaker of the House, why, in your view, is having a supermajority, a solid supermajority, important? Well, and this is where, I mean, both parties, you can say, I mean, individuals run, and we all have our individual bents and uh, our own viewpoints, but we also run on a party platform. Uh, the Democrats run on their Democrat party platform, the Republicans run on theirs. Uh, and the voters, I think, take a look at all of that, party platform as well as the individual. So when you talk about supermajorities, this is what I say, I mean, I think the Democrats are trying hard to get a supermajority, same as Republicans, that's part of politics. Um, so... And you can say supermajority. It's um, I think I, I believe in the Republican platform. I believe in small, efficient government, and that's uh, what I stand for. That's what my party platform stands for. And the more of my colleagues that I can get in with that same uh, ideology, I think the better for the state of Montana. So um, that uh, that's what when you say supermajority, it, yeah, it doesn't. That's a kind of a buzzword, but. I would love it if there's 100 Republicans in the Montana House, but uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that's, that's just the reality of, of what we're both fighting for. So. You got it. All right, we're up against our first break, Matt. We take a break uh, every few minutes, and we're going to come right back. Uh, Joe, I believe, is waiting to visit with you. We have other phone lines open, by the way, if you have a question for the Montana Speaker of the House, Matt Regeer. Uh, the lines are open. We'll be right back after this timeout. And we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Matt Regeer, Speaker of the House, joining us on the phone. And let's get right to uh, calls. We have Jeff waiting uh, first. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Matt Regeer. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. I have a real simple question. Uh, where do you stand on the uh, the Senate bill to uh, House SJ2, I believe it is, for a convention of states? All right. Thanks yeah, for Yeah, Jeff, that's... Yeah, great question. I know that, especially within my own party, there's been uh, there's a split on this. So some people say, "Now nah, this is going to be the end of end end of civilization." The other ones say, "This is going to save civilization." And I'm kind of I fall in the middle on this. I don't think I mean a Convention of States, Article Five. It's in our Constitution. I think it's a tool that our founding fathers gave us. I'm I'm for using those tools. Um, I don't personally. I just I don't see anything coming out of that. Uh, has to be ratified by three fourths of the states. Seventy-five percent of the states is a high bar to um, to hurdle to jump over. So I, I don't um, I don't see it drastically uh, making a big change. I don't see it drastically taking us off course. So I, I'm for giving it a shot, but um, uh, I'm not putting my hopes and dreams into it passing or failing. Gotcha. Let's get Dave on the line. Dave, good morning. You're on with Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning. Uh, a word of warning. Supermajority means to me that if if next year or the year after the, uh, the state of Montana is looking at deficit spending and, and having a problem there, uh, you're going to get the blame. So I would advise you to be careful. Yeah, that's, I mean, fair word of warning for anybody that's in leadership. Uh, it, uh, if, things, if things go wrong, it's your fault, and if things go right, it's... Uh, 
everybody else's. So that's the way it goes. Um, I, I do think uh, it brings up a good point of, and I've been telling this to the caucus, especially the appropriations committee, they've got a big task ahead of them of we've, there's a big surplus. Uh, we're going to be fine here for the next two years and we, there's going to be money to give back. There's going to be money to also take care of a lot of the state needs that are, are present and uh, staring us right in the eyes. Um, but it's not the two years that I'm worried about. It's the four years out. It's the eight years out. So he brings up a great point of we need to make sure we thread that needle of a um, sustainable budget. We call it a structural balanced budget, uh, that that has to be in the black uh, moving forward and looking out further than just the two years. Uh, look out that four years, that eight years, and, and make sure that we're not in a hole. Well, now, Matt, uh, th- th- this announcement just came out uh, late last night about uh, about Coal Strip and what's going on right there. Uh, so, uh, I-, I wanted to find out what your what your thoughts were uh, about the power plant and uh, the folks there in Coal Strip, and and especially coal has been such a huge part of our energy portfolio for so many years. And the Northwestern Energy is is uh, yeah is taking charge there. Yeah, and that was a, that was a great announcement to extend the life there of, of uh, the coal strips uh, was it three and four, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, I was just in a meeting actually with uh, uh, with a couple of the representatives there from coal strip, and they were talking about how it's tough when there's a looming end date of people even to get a loan to uh, uh, loan to refurbish their house there in coal strips. The bank were going. Yeah, your job's solid now, but where is that coming? So to give a little more structure to the future there of Coal Strip means a lot, not just to the uh, energy plant there in Coal Strip, but the people in the town of Coal Strip and also the surrounding areas, Harden all the way into Billings. I think that uh, economic stability there for another, was it four years, I believe, that they got to the end of the decade here um, is is just, uh, I think it's got the ripple effect of, of not just helping Coal Strip, but everybody around it. So. Uh, big big applause for uh, for that, and also uh, for the energy of Montana. Uh, there is a baseload problem. I know talking with Northwest Energy last uh, last winter, I believe they had to go on the open market, and uh, we're buying energy on the open market, which is incredibly expensive. And uh, how much of that energy in the future in the open market is even going to be available? Um, so we've got a real problem looking forward with base load energy, and this this solves it uh, for the near future, not uh, indefinitely, but uh, it does buy us some more time there on uh, on base load base load needs of Montana Energy. Okay, let's get Candy on the line. Candy, good morning. You're on with Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House. Go ahead, please. Hi, Matt. How are you? I am concerned. I've been an advocate for unjustly accused parents with child protective services for a very long time. I'm not active right now, but uh, that I see that you're trying to clean up the child protection uh, services uh, uh, like search warrants and warrants uh, and um, other things, reporting and uh, tape recording of conversations that uh, workers ha- have with children, and I think that it's about time that uh, the foster care system is uh, um, dealt with because we've had high numbers of children in foster care, and we don't keep track of all those children that leave foster care for adoption. And it's a great concern of mine, and I've noticed that you're tackling those issues. And how is it going? Thanks, Candy. Thanks for the call. Okay, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, thanks so much for that call. It is, uh, um, before we get into the bill there, uh, that has been a problem in the past. I know uh, I've been on uh, Section B was the Appropriations Committee that oversaw Department of Health and Human Services, and I was chair for that last so we looked at uh, a lot of the foster care rates and uh, the removal. Uh, I know Montana was, I believe, like twice as high as Idaho for removal. Uh, this was probably two years ago, I want to say, three years ago. Uh, with, I mean, Idaho has, what, double, more than double our population and half the removal. So the question, <laughs> the looming question there is why. And, uh, uh, and that is what uh, a lot of legislators have taken an interest in, and 
uh, are starting to address uh, this session. I know there's a bill in Health and Human Services that uh, was referenced there of um, making sure that uh, things are more documented, uh, that uh, law enforcement would be involved with the removal, and um, I, I think just shed more more light on on that whole process of child protective services and the foster care, as well as I know there's um, uh, there's appetite to uh, for adoption and to move. I think the kids that lag through foster care, uh, we're not uh, we're not helping them out ultimately, and that's that's the end goal. It's not about the system. It's not about uh, health and human services. Not about legislators. It's about the kids that that move through and how can we give them the best shot in life and. Um, a lot of times that is adoption, and how can we how can we facilitate that? So I think there'll be some bills coming further on that are more in drafting right now, but that will uh, that will help address even the adoption part of it. Very well said, Matt. We're going to take another break. Come right back. We have Helen and Joe who both want to visit with you. And again, thank you again for being so accessible and uh, agreeing to be with us every other week here uh, during the legislative yep. session. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for joining us on this edition of Talk Back. I'm Peter Christian, and uh, Nick Christensen taking your phone calls this morning. Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House, for the first time joining us this morning. And it's going to be a regular visitor here every other week. But we have uh, folks lined up to talk with you for the remaining time we have left. Uh, Helen, good morning. You're up next with uh, Matt Regeer. Go ahead. Hi, Matt. First, I want to say thank you very much for the job that you and the legislators do. It is not an easy job, and I know the hours that you must be putting into it. I would like you to speak about the... Go ahead. No, I just say thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. Thank everybody in the legislature for the Bitterroot Valley, too, because we listen in every week or every day to this station. Um, Would you please speak on the safety and the efficacy of the barriers that the founders put into Article 5, including, and most people don't know this, that it's the state legislature that is in charge of the entire Convention of States process, including requiring the commissioners who go to the Convention of States, the convention itself, having to sign an oath of commission, which could result in them being jailed or fined if they try to go rogue or do any nonsense while they're representing the legislature. And also, I believe um, I may have misheard, so let me clarify, it takes 34 states to call for the convention and 38 states to ratify it, but nobody ever talks about the 38 states to ratify it. Instead, they let rumors fly about the convention can be opened, or the convention can open the Constitution, which is nonsense. Could you speak to those barriers, please? Okay. And thank you. Thanks for the call. Sure. And I, I didn't know about a few of those about the jail time, or I hadn't looked that deep into it. But uh, you're absolutely right. And this is what I kind of on that first question of. Uh, uh, the convention is called by uh, by the states, and the parameters are set by the states. I know there's fear of a runaway convention, uh, but even once again, the backstop that you're talking about three fourths of the states. Um, if it was a run a runaway convention, I don't. I mean, what issue does three fourths of our states uh, agree on? It's going to be has to be a a fairly straightforward issue. I I just don't see it. I don't see how that could get out of hand with the backstop of three fourths of the states having to ratify. So, uh, to me, it's it's worth worth a shot of um, you know if we can get an imbalanced budget, maybe we can get three fourths of the states to say, hey, federal government, let's let's live with a balanced budget. That's a that's a unique uh, that would, idea there, Washington that, D.C. That would that but would come that as a sh- that would come as a shock to the system, wouldn't it? That would and it's a shock to the system. So maybe maybe something like that does get bipartisan support. And I mean, three fourths of the states on a balanced budget. I am all for that. Um, now, uh, now, now, real real quick, Matt, we're, we're we're running short. We only got about three or four minutes, and several other people that want to talk with you. I know we can't get them all in, but Joe's been waiting the longest. Joe, good morning. You're on with uh, Matt Regeer. Go ahead. Thank you. You know the the Montana uh, University system. Uh, got rid of TikTok on their uh, government 
servers. Uh, you know, we know what's happened at the U of Penn. And my question is, uh, with the Biden Institute and the money that's, you know, been donated by anonymous Chinese people to the U of Penn, like $60 million, and Biden got a million. However, what is, uh, should we be concerned about the uh, Max Bacchus Institute at the University of Montana? All right. So he asked that question. Uh, thanks for the call. He asked that question of our Democratic representative. Now it's your turn, Matt. Sure. And, you know, I just read that article. Was that today um, on, on the TikTok, which kind of surprised me there on university systems? But, uh, yeah, it is something that uh, that is real. I mean, the threat from China, um, I, I think uh, that's something uh, I, I don't know if it's how much we can do here at the state level. Uh, a lot of times uh, that federal level really trumps a lot of what we try to do here at the states to uh, protect our, our freedoms and free speech. But, uh uh, if there is a way uh, here at the state level, there's uh, we're going to find it. Okay, let's try to get one more call in the last two minutes. Uh, Andy, good morning. You are on with uh, Matt Regeer. Hi. Oh, great. Oh, let's get Andy on. Thanks, hi, hi, Andy. Thanks, go Matt. ahead. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for taking my question. Um, the Republicans nationwide seem to be have become ethically challenged. Uh, leave Trump out of it, and a lot of his administration has ended up in jail, or et cetera. Dan Forte uh, punching their reporter and poaching, Zinke uh, lying, 18 investigations, Santos lying on his his uh, uh, campaign trail, this Solomon uh, Pena down in New Mexico shooting up Democrats' houses. Uh, he was a, a candidate for the Republican legislature down there. Do, do you have a question for Matt? Yeah, yeah. So with all that said, what do you think about the Republican uh, Party um, the, the route that they're going. Um, so I just All right. be interested to hear your response on that. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the call. We got about a minute left to, to be faithful your, to your time, Matt. Go ahead. Sure, and that's a that's a good question. I mean, we went to a lot of the personalities uh, that are in politics, and those are on both sides of the aisle. I mean, we've got uh, uh, what classified documents uh, now coming out on both sides: President Trump and and Biden. So, um, I don't know. For me, it is. Um, I like to try and look past all the uh, personalities. I mean, nobody's perfect, but we're here for legislation. And this is what I keep telling people uh, here at the state level anyways, that personalities don't go in the law books. I mean, your title, uh, Speaker of the House doesn't. It's, if you're chair of this committee, that doesn't go in the law books. It's just our ideas. Our ideas, uh, the good ideas put into the law books and take out the bad ones. So uh, I know that personalities and all the drama can get involved, and that's politics. But uh, I try and look past all that and just go straight to what our job is here to do, and that's legislate the best legislation for the people of Montana. Let me tell you what, your timing is impeccable. It just struck 930. So <laughs> and I want to remain faithful to, to our Try commitment to. to you. And thank you for spending the time with us. We look forward to our next visit, sir. Thanks a bunch, Peter. Appreciate you, you having me. You bet. You take care. We're going to come right back. I understand Troy Downing is actually going to be joining us today. Uh, the state auditor and insurance commissioner, he'll be joining us in the next few minutes. We'll be right back. So stay with us. Okay, we are back on Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. Now, uh, Nick Christensen right over there taking your phone calls. He's been very busy this morning. But joining us on the phone right now is uh, Troy Downing. He is our state auditor and insurance commissioner. I understand you you got out of a meeting a little bit early, and you're able to join us yourself. Troy, it's a pleasure talking with you. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, Happy New Year, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad this uh, worked out. We had a land board meeting this morning, and... Uh, uh, just ran from that and uh, made it on time. So happy to be here. All right. So so tell me what's on your plate. I know the, the legislature's ongoing right now, but uh, you, you being the, the state auditor and insurance commissioner, what kind of things are you working on? I understand you've got uh, the, a, a bail bonds bill in the, uh, in, in the legislature, right? Yeah, we do. We have one uh, that we uh, believe is up for um, executive action today on uh, the fugitive recovery side of bail bonds. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, uh, strangely enough, I was uh, this morning in the gym, I ran into uh, Speaker Regeer, and we were talking about this bill a little bit and talking about how um, this is something that uh, just became obvious that we needed. And, you know, for those who don't uh, realize why, you know, the state auditor is even talking about this, 
is, you know, when I have my um, insurance commissioner hat on, you know, we regulate uh, surety bonds, and a bail bond is a type of surety bond. So, in other words, you're guaranteeing that a third party is going to perform as required. And in this case, you're guaranteeing that somebody, you know, shows up for a, for a hearing. And so that is a type of insurance, so that falls under us. But one thing that is completely unregulated right now is the fugitive recovery side of that. So, in other words, the, um, uh, the bounty hunter side. And uh, so we've had some bad actors, and some of them have made headlines. And just to be clear, not everything that we're dealing with and not all the complaints that we get make headlines, um, but it has become obvious that we need some sort of sideboards there. And, and just to put things in perspective, the only thing in code right now in terms of fugitive recovery is it says if the bond producer, if the surety bond producer feels uncomfortable then they can make an arrest. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's essentially exactly that language. If they feel uncomfortable, there's no uh, need for probable cause or anything else. And so what we've seen in a lot of the complaints that we've dealt with, you know, some of these, you know, uh, bounty hunter or fugitive recovery uh, operations have gone south. Some of them have ended in criminal charges, you know, all the way up to that one that happened last year in Butte that ended up with murder charges. Um, and as we see more and more of these, we, we saw a need to have something more in code than if you feel uncomfortable. And so we have a bill right now that uh, Representative Mercer is carrying for us in the House. And it's really simple. You know, the, the first thing we're doing is we, we're requiring licensure, as we do with any other, you know, producer, anybody else uh, operating, uh, you know, in, as an insurance producer or a surety bond producer in the state. So licensure is one, so we know who's out there. And we're, we require that you're not a felon, and we think that's reasonable to, you know, basically this is an important part of the criminal justice system, and you're dealing with, you know, arresting potential fugitives. So I think it's important that we don't have, you know, felons out there. Um, we have minimum training, uh, so you have to actually be trained, which is something that's not unusual. Every one of our producers has some kind of continuing education and some kind of training. And so, you know, here it would be, you know, training to make sure they understand the law, understand how to deal with uh, fugitives that are under the, under the influence, uh, lethal and non-lethal weapons, how to deal with all of that kind of stuff, and especially what you can and can't do. Um, you know, another part of this is we require them to notify in advance law enforcement, except under, you know, exigent circumstances, uh, and, and we'll define that in a second, and that they have probable cause. Because here's, here's what's happening, and I think a lot, of, a lot of your listeners will be interested in this, is, you know, we had uh, that example in Silverboat County where a bondsman used somebody who was out on bond, so actually engaged a principal to come help uh, do an arrest. They broke into the the um, the principal's uh, friend's house because he was over to friend's house so again right there is aggravated burglary um, you can't just bust into anybody's house you want and uh, the person who was helping the the um, the producer the you know the person who was helping on this recovery brought a firearm and shot and killed the friend so a third party was murdered so they're both you know on trial right now for aggravated burglary and murder. Um, and, you know, even though those things in and of themselves are obviously illegal, you know, we believe that if we'd had these sideboards and required, you know, at, at a minimum some training to understand you can't just randomly bust into a third party's house, you know, wielding guns, you know, we think that uh, that would, you know, put some, you know, protect the public and making sure that people at least understand what they can and can't do. And, you know, and here, here's one other example, and not to bore you with you know, too many examples, but we had another incident uh, that made headlines up in um, Cascade County where the, the fugitive recovery agent basically ran his car head on into the principal they were trying to arrest. The principal got out, hands in the air. They came and started shooting non-lethal projectiles at the person who was already surrendering. Um, the police got called, and they had no idea who was who because they weren't notified in advance, so they don't know what's going on. They just see that there's, you know, multiple parties in, in an issue there. And, you know, this person was not a licensed producer, so this bill would, you know, uh, potentially solve all those types of issues. Wow. And, and real briefly, you know, another one we had was uh, a principal was at um, his relative's house. They were elderly. 
a recovery agent, you know, forced their way into these elderly relatives' house and maced them, um, which is obviously not uh, not what we want to see out there. So, so just to you know, put a bow on this, we we think it's in the public interest. We think there's you know, demonstrable you know, uh, public danger by not having at least some sideboards on the fugitive recovery part of this. And, you know, we, it's not just Montana um, uh, uh, bond agents, but, you know, some are coming here out of state and, and operating um, in a way that, uh, that we think is a, is a threat to public safety. And, you know, just, I know I've been talking in a monolith, but just to be really clear, you know, the bail bond, cash bond is, is an important part of the criminal justice system. And for the most part, these are, you know, solid businesses doing a necessary and good work there to make sure that we can have folks that are out on on bond, you know, presumed innocent until they're waiting trial, and uh, otherwise we would be flooding the prison system and it would just be, you know, really hard to to manage. So it's an important part, and we're not going after them. We want to make sure that you know they can continue doing their job. We just want to make sure that there are some, you know, sideboards around the fugitive recovery side. You got it. We're up against a break. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, we have a couple of app questions and Joe that wants to visit with you. Our guest on the phone right now is Troy Downing, our state auditor and insurance commissioner. We'll be right back. Hey, we're back on Talk Back. Troy Downing, our state insurance commissioner and auditor, is uh, joining us right now. we got a couple. We've got a very important app question. What's up, Nick? Yeah, we have a couple. Uh, Kitty, uh, real quick, said, do I need to have home deed insurance? I have a home equity loan that I was told would be plenty. Is that true? Home deed insurance. So I, I, I'm assuming she's talking about title insurance. Yes, title insurance. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you need to? Um, you know, I, I, that that's normally a requirement of the lender. Um, you know, uh, I think there's been some arguments on whether you need to or not. If you've uh, actually done a title search and you've got clean title, I think if you're not dealing with a lender, some folks, you know, uh, may choose not to do that. They're comfortable with the results of a of, of a title search. Um, but I do not know anybody who will or any lender who will use a home as collateral, even for a home equity line of credit, um, without having some sort of title insurance on it. Okay, we have another question from Joel. He said, uh, home insurance coverage in Florida and Louisiana is disappearing because of storm losses and the insurance companies uh, leaving in those states. He said, uh, how does this affect home insurance in Montana, and how do you ensure that that doesn't happen here? Well, that, that's actually, that, that's the million-dollar question because, you know, we are constantly monitoring uh, access to markets. We're constantly talking to industry about, uh, you know, where they'll write and where they won't. Occasionally, we'll get uh, calls um, questioning whether they have access in certain areas. And so what, what happens is you'll get folks that are in uh, high-pressure wildfire areas and they may get uh, no certificates of non-renewal from their insurance company because they want to move out of those high-risk areas, or you know that that's mostly Western Montana, Eastern Montana. You see the same thing with uh, with hail threats, and so we had a task force last year to really look and understand what was available. And what we found is that even some agents uh, and some you know uh, insureds may have been non-renewed, there was always some, you know, uh, other company that was willing to write in those areas. And this is something we're looking at really closely. What, what some other states have done, you know, notably uh, California, Oregon, I believe in Colorado, is they have basically a high-risk um, system called a FAIR plan, which is an alternative uh, when there's no commercial insurance available. And we've looked at that. It's something that we would use if our back was against the wall and we actually uh, ended up in a situation where there was not, you know, commercial insurance available or, you know, uh, uh, if, if there weren't non-government you know, subsidized or government-provided insurance available, we would uh, uh, look at that as a last resort. But uh, we've been working with industry very closely on making sure that we don't have deficits. And there may be you know, one or two or, you know, very a, a scant few um, uh, issues where you've got a what's called a, a, a PC-9 or a PC-10, that's protection class 9 or 10, which is a very high-risk area um, where there's no services around, you know, like say in the you know, middle of a forest on the top of a hill with, you know, no fire department uh, anywhere near. 
in essentially with very expensive houses like these $5 million plus houses where there may not be a market. But for the most, most of us who are, you know, uh, just, just a normal homeowner in a, in a normal area, there's, there's markets available. But I will tell you, it's something that, that we are constantly looking at and concerned about because we don't want to find ourselves in a situation where there's no product out there for Montanans. All right. Now, real quick, before we get to our callers, flood, let's talk about flood insurance, because I think uh, when spring rolls around, we're going to have a lot of flooding, considering the, the winter yeah. we've had so far. That runoff, and we always try to reach out, you know, uh, early, well before that spring runoff, because uh, especially with like the federal programs and even some private programs, you have to buy the insurance, you know, up to 30 days prior uh, to it coming into effect, because, you know, they obviously the insurer doesn't want you to, you know, see the floodwaters coming and try to buy insurance that same day. So we try to get that message out early. And we did, this is another thing that we did, a bunch of research. We had a task force uh, looking into the availability of private flood because a lot of folks think that the only thing available is that uh, National Flood Insurance Program under FEMA. And it's just not true. There is private flood out there. And talk to your agent if uh, you think there's any kind of risk. And we ran into a lot of folks that thought that they could only get flood insurance if they were in a floodplain, and that's not true. There's flood insurance outside of floodplains. And, and just keep, take this uh, for an example. And we all saw that house floating down the Yellowstone River when we had uh, those floods last year, and that house was up on a bank that was undercut. And uh, I don't know for sure, but I would speculate that that was well outside of any floodplain but since it was undercut due to a flood, it's still a flood loss and would not have been insured with a standard homeowner's policy. So uh, it's not just floodplain risk that, that folks need to um, worry about. Um, you know, look at where your home is, what that risk is. If you're near any high ground, especially high ground, that suffered any kind of wildfire loss because you get wildfire loss and, uh, you know, you get that kind of mud movement that that still falls under flood. So, you know, flood after fire is one of those issues. So I would encourage everybody out there that thinks there's any risk to talk to their insurance agent because there is private flood out there and see if uh, what those alternatives are because the private flood market has, you know, better coverage um, in some cases with multi-parallel um, uh, policies uh, can be cheaper and uh, it's just something I think folks should investigate if they have, if they think there's any threat at all. And, you know, just to kind of put things in perspective, the biggest reason people don't buy flood insurance is they're worried about the cost. And I'll say, yes, if you're at the lowest point in a flood zone, it's probably going to be expensive insurance. If you're not, it's going to be priced commensurate with that risk. So it may be cheaper <laughs> if that risk is lower. So I encourage everybody to look you know, long before we start to get that spring runoff. And with that, we're going to take our final break, and we're going to through as many calls as we can. We have Jeff and Skip and Joe, and we're going to come right back after this. One minute timeout. We have exactly eight and a half minutes left. So, uh, Troy uh, Dennis, uh, pardon, Troy, Dennis, Troy Downing joining us on the phone right now. And let's get uh, Jeff up next. Jeff, good morning. What's up? Hey, good morning. I think Kitty's question was uh, aimed at title theft insurance, not just uh, regular title insurance. And uh, it's something that's being advertised pretty heavily. So I have two questions around that. Do you know of any cases in Montana where someone has actually tried to and succeeded in uh, – in stealing the title to somebody's house, and, uh, and Jeff, then again, for go ahead. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize there was a second part. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, identity theft insurance in general. Yeah. So, so Jeff, yeah, thanks for that question. Um, yeah. So, I and thanks for that clarity because I, I understood that to be a, a, a title insurance, not a uh, not one of those uh, ones where I, I've seen the ads too, where they claim that somebody has, you know, added a, a lien or taken over the title or, or, you know, changed ownership of the house. I've seen those commercials as well. Uh, I have not um, heard of that happening in Montana. I'm not going to say that it hasn't, but that has not crossed my desk at all, uh, nor have any complaints about anybody um, trying to ensure that. You know, my, um, uh, my, my gut tells me that uh, for the most part, 
if somebody uses you know false uh, statements or false credentials to actually change title, that that's something that you're going to be able to fix without an insurance company. Uh, and that's my that's my gut. I've not researched that, but uh, to for a, a a quick answer to your question, I have not heard of that being a problem, and we have not received any complaints that I'm aware of in this office. All right, thanks for the call, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, Skip is up next. Skip, good morning. You're on with Troy Downing. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Troy. Um, I, I thought I'd ask you. Uh, I thought I'd ask you about uh, one item that you brought up, having to do with uh, bond recovery, and the. And uh, by the way, I appreciated your explanation about it, and also about flood insurance, because and, and all of your explanations are just you know you put the cards on the table. So meanwhile, that bond recovery issue. You said it's in Mercer's bill. Is that in that monster bill? It's like nine hundred million bucks. That, and and oh, we uh, <laughs> well, I'll skip. Let me let me just uh, uh, respond to that one first. No, this is uh, I, I I firmly believe that the 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 tighter you make a bill, the shorter you make a bill, the more direct you make a bill, the more likely it is to succeed. So our bill oh, well. is fairly short and deals with you know one issue and one issue only, and that's fugitive recovery in the bond industry. I understand that there are the bond industry is uh, trying to. To bring a uh, another bill with another legislator that I have not had the chance to review, but I, I've heard that it's covering lots of things besides this, and uh, we're being very specific because I think that's just how good policy is made. You you fix you, you try to fix a single problem so the folks are voting only on that problem without having to weigh um, irrelevant things that uh, are are not what you're trying to accomplish. Thank you for that, because uh, I wish there was more just like that and and just lay it on the table and, and vote on it and get to the next one. All and right. uh, you so much sense. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Thanks for the call. Yeah, well, thanks for your call. Andy's up next. Andy, good morning. You're on with Troy. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, several years ago, the Ravelli County commissioners uh, made it legal to build within the floodplain, despite uh, a lot of. Uh, criticism uh, from FWP and scientists, hydrologists, etc. Uh, so now it is legal to build in the floodplain. And I'm just wondering, well, first off, have you heard that uh, old adage, building in the floodplain is like setting up your tent in the middle of the highway when nobody's coming. Um, exactly. And so that's what we have, that's, that's what we have going on in Valley County. And I was wondering if you had a message for Ravalli County commissioners or any other commissioners that might be uh, thinking of such a move. Okay, thanks for the call. Well, well yeah, thanks, Andy, for for that call because uh, this this is a whole you know can of worms in in going into this. And and here's here's some of my concerns about the FEMA maps in general is. Uh, they should never be political, and sometimes they are. And we've had examples where a flood, a new floodplain map has come out, and people have contested it and said, "Well, no, our our building or our planned building is uh, in this floodplain. Can you move the floodplain so that our building's not in it?" And through whatever you know political actions they take, they sometimes get those planes moved. And, uh, you know, I know of uh, at least one example in Montana where uh, the floodplain was moved to allow the building of a hospital that subsequently was flooded. So uh, so it is it is kind of interesting that it, it's an area that I don't think politics should get involved at all. I mean, the, the plane is is the plane. And if it changes based on, you know, uh, changes in expectations and, you know, water levels or, you know, this is a. Uh, um, you know, the science here is, is much beyond, you know, me, but I, I do believe that uh, the folks that are drawing those should use, you know, the most current science for evaluating where a 100 or a 500 year floodplain is. But to answer your question directly, um, in general, you can build in a floodplain. Usually the limiting factor is whether you can get a loan on it. And, you know, in my you know, previous experiences in commercial real estate, 
you know, we in general would never buy a structure that was in a floodplain. Um, but on occasion, we would look at them and, you know, we would always have to, you know, borrow money from a lender to as part of that acquisition. And the lenders would always require flood insurance if you had a structure in a floodplain. So what we would look at is either the ability to insure it, which in some places, you know, we did a lot of business in coastal Texas, you know, flood insurance was incredibly expensive. Um, and in some places, you can actually, you know, do a landfill to bring the structures out of the floodplain. And, you know, I've seen things like that where you might be, you know, two feet under a floodplain. So, you know, put, you know, four feet of land and now you're two feet out of the floodplain. So we've, we've seen stuff like that. So in terms of whether it's legal or not, you know, that's, uh, I, I'm not sure what happened in Ravalli County, but in general, I mean, there's folks that are building in floodplains and it still happens. Uh, you just have to understand that uh, if you're using a lender, uh, I would say close to 100%, if not you know, 100% of them, are, are going to require some sort of flood insurance. And depending on the risk, that may be particularly expensive. Okay. But again, there's always ways to mitigate. And like I said, there's uh, you know one of the ways that we mitigated back in my commercial real estate days was to make sure that you had enough land in there to pull the structure outside of the floodplain. And then generally, if you did that, that would convince the lender that you no longer needed that flood insurance. And so it was a business decision on whether to get it or not. All right, Troy, we have exactly a minute left in our time together. So how about some contact information if folks have questions or comments and want to visit with you and your staff? Yeah, no, reach out to us. Our phone number is 444-2040. Obviously, we're talking about insurance mostly today and, and bail bonds, but, uh, you know, we're dealing on the security side with uh, financial fraud. Um, you know, we're kind of dealing with that whole FDX, uh, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried issue. If you are any victims out there, give us a call, 444-2040. All right. Troy, as always, a pleasure visiting. And thank you for taking the time. I know you were rushed, and we appreciate you carving out a time for us. Anytime. All right. You guys uh, have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey, thank you, Troy Downing. All right. Appreciate it. All right. So tomorrow, the uh, go, go, go. I was going to say, our friend and resident CPA, Walt Carroll, will join us. Woo-hoo! Get out and, and be safe. Please drive safely out there. It's very slick. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6.